I'm sure I'm not unique in this, that when we look back from different emotional states, I can look in my past with anger. And what I write from that perspective is going to be different than if I look back on my past with a bit of compassion. And I can tell you the book has both. Welcome to the Aaron Caulfield podcast, where it's my job to coach and consult with high-achieving entrepreneurs, CEOs, and founders of startups. On the show, I'll give you an inside look at founders' dreams and visions for the future, as well as the emotional challenges they face as leaders. Along the way, I'll bring you the best strategies, resources, and frameworks I've found to help you succeed. I hope you enjoy. This episode is a coaching session with Ishmael Jackson. Ish has been in various programs that I've run over the years. And you'll see in this session, he speaks openly about the challenges he's faced, the book that he's writing. And we even dive into little Ishmael, which is how Ish and I refer to his younger self, the version of himself from his teenage years and even younger. Will you take a few moments to introduce yourself, please? My name is Ishmael Jackson. I'm the founder and CEO of a holistic health and wellness company called The Body Academy. Our mission is to enhance and enrich the life of our clients through movement. And we expand from the body first, what we view as the doorway, and incorporating mental psychological cues for a more holistic sense of wellness, purpose, and performance. We've known each other for years-ish, and I've always been impressed by your entrepreneurial mindset and your entrepreneurial drive. Thank you. Did you know, Ish, growing up, did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Growing up for me was a little bit different. I, uh, it sounds almost stereotypical, but I grew up, uh, first part of my childhood was in abject poverty. Even here in the U.S., living in Miami, there's a place called Liberty City. We were poor. As a kid, my thoughts never went further than maybe the basic quest for survival. There were social circles. I luckily had a, a brother. We were 10 months apart. Um, and we became each other's kind of focus and main support system. But even as a little kid, it was, I never dreamed or understood what entrepreneurship was. Not until perhaps my teenage years, 12 years old, I luckily uh, went from that situation in Miami to life in upstate New York, Rochester, where I lived with my father. And at the time, Eastman Kodak was a booming company. And there were people from all over the world. So my exposure just went from zero to a hundred. Hmm. <laughs> and at that point, yes, I I would often <laughs> watch these people in suits with briefcases. And it just seemed like for some reason in my mind, that was a superhero uniform. They all seemed to move with purpose and function. And it was they had some some guidance to what they wanted to accomplish and experience in life. I mean, at least that was my take on it at the time. So I, I would have to say maybe the entrepreneurial aspect and business aspect of it in my young teenage years. I think Thank the thing you. is, man, is you're stepping out now in a time that is just totally uncertain and, and scary. And every time you put yourself out there, and if, this, if we put this on LinkedIn, like this just takes tremendous courage. Oh, 
well, an African-American, recently married, my partner's male, in a country that is still to this day grappling with what each means. Hmm. It's like, are you kidding? It means that I breathe. It means that I love. It means that I'm present. <laughs> we shouldn't be having this argument. I mean, <laughs> it's stunning. And I, I'm really hopeful that the young generations coming up, they're speaking. I mean, they're out marching. They're demanding change. Mm. Now I'm really curious, Ish, what's next for you? Where, where's all this going? Oh, <laughs> well, actually, the master plan, if you will, the body academy, because the goal is that we use the body as the first entry point, but the academy is an institution of higher learning. It's a, a place that speaks to us, progress, growth. So the master plan is to offer opportunities for others by sharing not only the benefits of healthy movement, but allowing and making sure everyone understands this is accessible to all of us, everyone. We all have a desire to thrive. That doesn't set us apart. We have a desire to survive. That doesn't set us apart. What sets people apart is their ability to actually do it. And that process, that's the future what I'm working on. I am writing a book. I'd like to, um, and again, I have to thank you, Aaron. <laughs> I'm writing a book to share my experience and hope that others uh, not only can relate to it as I think they may, but to really see the possibility. When I turned on the television as a kid, all the bad guys were African-American. Mm. I would see the smart guys, but they would be labeled things like, Slickster. Hmm. They'd be intelligent. They would they seem like they're solving crimes, for instance, but no, they're the they're the con artists. That's why they understood it. They couldn't be a detective, or it would be the guy the detective went to get the inside scoop on what's going on on the street. But it was never acknowledged as like a positive thing. It was like the detective had to go to the dirty place and speak to the uh the negative people, you know, like the the other than. Hmm. And I, I remember watching that, and I could not put words to it. Honestly, I don't think I was able to process it, but I do remember the impact. I was very shy. I became very shy outside of very few individuals in my immediate family. I still remember being a bit fearful every time I saw an officer. Mm. Because, you know, we, and I mean, that's relevant to this day, sadly. Mm. And we're speaking like 30 years ago. 32 years ago, the anxiety that one would feel in the body, the need to feel like I need to run and hide, those things don't leave us. Mm. And even as recently, I would have to say, as 2006, and again, I'll share some more our personal stuff. 2006 in San Francisco, when I set up the Body Academy, there were a team of people around me. I was so excited. I was, I was in this open-minded community a community, the city of San Francisco, where I thought these things did not happen. And if they did, they were so minor, minor. Unfortunately, I ran into a situation where I was burglarized. Hmm. Luckily, I had video of it, go to the police department. I was stunned. And that was, again, like a reminder. Even with the video, the perpetrators happened to be, I guess, the word white, right? White American. Faces clearly shown. You can even hear the dialogue. I noticed how slow things were being done. 
So at one point I would go to the police station all the time and I was stunned to hear a detective tell me, well, these are the people, but something like this can ruin them. And I thought, I was like, uh, how do I respond to that? Something like this. They burglarized my place and stole all these items. You have proof. But that spoke volume. The concern wasn't at the loss or the harm to me because it's hard to be viewed by some of these systems as a victim. This is a, it reminds me of something even more recent now. This is why a lot of African Americans, we are so hesitant to call the police. Mm. This is why our community growing up and even still to this day will rather handle things themselves. The police, in our experience, have come over with preconceived notions because they cannot see you as a victim. Even if you're victimized, they're more interested in defining what you did wrong. This lack of humanity, this inability to view others who outwardly may seem different as human. You can relate to them as a fellow human with the possibility of having the exact same emotions and experiences, desires, hopes, and dreams as you. Yeah, that's how things grow. Is this in your book draft? (laughs) Uh, Some of it is in my draft, yes. This is one thing that uh, I find, like when you, and I'm sure I'm not unique in this, that when we look back, from different emotional states. I can look in my past with anger and what I write from that perspective is going to be different than if I look in my past, look back on my past with a bit of compassion. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you the book has both, <laughs> mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. the emotions, but in sharing this journey, I, and again, I've got to thank you. You were, wow, so fundamental and my ability to grow was present. I needed that encouragement. I needed some guidance. And I appreciate you, Aaron. But yes, this is, and this is exactly what's in the book. <laughs> when Perfect. we open up, honestly, and when we're vulnerable, I think that's when we're more real. And that's what I had to learn. That's perfect Because this, this is the stuff that I feel you have so much power and it's coming through in your way of being and in your voice in being able to talk about these things. And I imagine if you channel that into the book, you, you can reach a lot of people and you can, you can make a wave with this book, man. Well, thank you. If we were to go deep today to some place where you might get an insight, where would we go? Wow. I mean, if we're going to go really deep, I, I look back at the time when I was a kid. I'm going to speak about Little Ishmael. Little Ishmael, like a lot of young African-American boys, I carried with me and how it affected me during the course of my life until fairly recent. Even as I'm like working and trying to help enhance the life of others, there are these dark areas I had to acknowledge within myself. There are these, these painful points, those questions of, am I worthy, right? That... Mm. I had to confront. Now, we all know because, you know, the mind and the emotional being is not always in alignment. Mentally, we know, oh, yeah, be confident. You're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this. That emotional being, however, is still feeling scared. For myself, I dealt with a lot of doubt. I try to find, like anyone, right? 
validation for just being. You had these thoughts of, am I worthy? Yeah. And little Ishmael was really scared. And little Ishmael doubted himself or other people because the world was scary. Yes. Um, but honestly, as an African-American, I just remember being isolated. My first teacher, I was in Opalaka mm. at this school. And I believe the name of it, I remember, was Nathan B. Young Elementary School. There was a teacher there named Mr. Lacey. He was a, uh, <laughs> it's funny how these individuals, like, he noticed me always in the class. Number one, that protective posture, right? I always had to be somewhere away from the door and towards the back where I can see things, where I can almost shrink away. And he noticed. And I remember he had me come sit up in the front of the class. And I had a panic attack. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what was going on. I just remember breathing heavily and being able to sit still. And it's Miami. I'm hot. But I was sweating, which... (laughs) So he uh, had me stay, gave me water, and I just remember the teacher looked at me and said, you don't have to be afraid of anything. And when he said that, I didn't know why, but it just had such a calming effect. And that social support, that little teacher's comment meant the world to me. And I remember leaving that day and going back to the projects. We were on 22nd Avenue. The projects are just the house. <laughs> That's where you got like a stack. Think of like row houses with government housing. And they're a world in and of themselves. And sadly, they still exist. Sadly. But I just remember that little engagement coming back and speaking with my brother. And for some reason, I felt more awake, more able now, I can't recall what I did after that, the weeks going after that moment, but that moment stuck with me for some reason. And I honestly think it was because I was looking for that social support at that age. And just that little conversation where someone I deemed of authority, you know, he's the teacher of a class. He must know things. He's smart. Acknowledge me and encourage me. So little Ishmael. Little Ishmael, it seems like, Felt in those moments amidst validated. feeling scared, but but felt validated yeah. and acknowledged. And recognized, acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Now, interesting thing about Mr. Lacey, he was my first male African-American teacher. He was biracial, mm-hmm. but he was my first male African-American teacher. To that point, I had, luckily, had strong African-American female teachers. Miss Campbell, for one. A French teacher, Miss Bonet, my third grade, <laughs> Florida Heights Elementary School at that point. <laughs> it's funny when I look back, I have specific people that highlight something about that time. And nine out of 10 times, I think most kids do, especially African American kids. And nine out of 10 times, it's not going to be someone in the immediate house. And that's not a knock against one's family. It is, I think, more speaking to the, the desire for acknowledgement by the outside world. The desire for kids to feel validated beyond those that, you know, oh, they love me. Of course, my mom would say that. Others to recognize it and the importance of such when they're growing. Forgive me if I'm bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're perfect, man. Oh, 
what are you experiencing ish as you recount some of those stories? Well, you know, as, as I first started sharing kind of little Ishmael, I, and I, we've spoken of this before. I cannot help but envision myself there. In the past, I would feel all those anxieties as if they were current, very real. Now, thanks to our work, Aaron, and understanding and acknowledging these things, doing that work to progress, I view that time with a level of compassion, mm. which not only makes it tolerable, but it allows me to see what key points are, key moments with gratefulness. So I see these key moments that created a change, like a little, you know, a little dividing path and where I went left or right and who was there. And I see it and view it with an air of gratefulness. It really kind of makes me want to, as much as I can in life, be that for others. But there's another little kid. There, there are tons of little Ishmaels, you know? <laughs> And I mean, these people just that one moment could make such big impact. And it seems like such a little thing now when I look back on it, but it's the impact I will never minimize and certainly not take for granted. That one moment or series of moments that can alter the entire direction of your life. And, and it did in what various ways. Yes. What would serve you in this moment, Ish? Oh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, as you probably know, this is, I think, the first in time I've spoken uh, unprompted in such a manner about little Ishmael. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we all have our that little being within us, that inner child. And most of us, I think, forget that that child is with us forever. I think in this moment, um, you're doing it. You're being supported. You're being present. And sometimes all that kid wants to do is yell, be mm-hmm. seen, acknowledged, something. <laughs> Earlier, you, you said the words when you talked about Mr. Lacey that you felt validated, recognized, acknowledged, yes. seen, and heard. I think I added. Yeah, absolutely. It um, strikes me, Ish, is that back then, little Ishmael felt afraid and, and wanted those things emit some racial tension probably right big time i mean you're always told and acknowledged or described by one word at least in my experience it wasn't the smart kid it was the black boy and it would be interesting if that word had a lot of positive connotations now within our community of course we take that term and view with pride there's no daylight without night There's no, you know, you have to have balance. One is not good and one the other bad. However, all of the media representations of the African community at that point still heavily leaned on racist and biased terminology, many which were almost innocuous to others around us. They didn't realize that, oh, well, I'll give you an example. I remember having a friend and I was fortunate at least when I went to Rochester, New York, my friendship circle expanded from all African-American to all reflective of every race, different religions, cultures. Uh, it was, again, I went from zero to a hundred as far as my exposure. But I, I remember being stunned. While I was open to getting to know who everyone was, 
coming from a primarily African-American community to this open and mixed, I noticed that people, everyone wasn't so curious about one another. Some met you with a, almost a notebook of bias based on their beliefs. And when I would ask questions or talk to them, they would meet you as if you had done these things in their mind, mm-hmm. as if you somehow were reflected. Now, here's the kicker. Turns out that most of them had zero experience with anyone African-American, primarily young. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, where is this coming from? Oh, my grandfather said it, or um, the news. And mm-hmm. these things, that was just stark. Mm-hmm. I'm hesitating in this moment whether to talk about the details of the book or I don't think that's actually right for you. We, we can do that another time if, if that's... Yes, that would be, that'd be great. Like. Thank you. I think right now it's just having you feel validated and, and recognized and acknowledged and seen and heard. I, again, if I'm so fortunate, people can read my book, read these words, share my story, and it creates movement within them, a desire or encourage or even guide in some way them to create an experience in life that they want to acknowledge the impact they have on others around them and on the world at large, I would be forever grateful because that is how we can create change. So I guess that would be the takeaway that when we, we must go back to these painful and revisit these often, at least I had to, often buried emotions, many created before we have the language to even express them but we carry it in our body. We mm-hmm. carry it in our being. We have to have the courage and the support to go and acknowledge those things, to bring them out so that they can be released because those patterns, when I look over the course of my life to this point, I can point to several points where I was that little kid cowering in the back of the room, <laughs> scared to speak up. Or I was that kid who was somehow felt put on the spot and have a panic attack. Hmm. I want to thank you for being part of Team Ishmael. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm honored to be part of Team Ishmael. <laughs> every step forward, believe me. My grandma used to say, we stand on the shoulders of giants of all those before us yeah, and those around us. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Would you like to challenge someone? Oh, <laughs> oh, you know what? An entrepreneur. I, yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. I would love to challenge an entrepreneur who, I mean, I would watch him and learn so much about business. His name is Ken Men. Ken of Men? Canoe, of Canoe. K-E-N-U. Talking about being driven towards success and being driven to create. Oh, my gosh. May I challenge two people? Absolutely. Please do. I will challenge Courtney Cohan. Courtney Cohan. She is fantastic. She's in real estate. And her focus towards service and how she so actively, she, she literally, is, I think, embodies someone trying to fill the need before the client or customer even can acknowledge it. She likes to make it seamless. And that's something she's, I guess, a good definition or a good work for her would be tenacity. Thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron. I really thank you for, again, allowing the space and for your support in my journey. It's ongoing. 
Absolutely. I, I'm just honored that you're here with me. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Team Ishmael for the win, my brother. <laughs>